Welcome to the First Pres podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you would like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Well, open your Bibles as we, as we dive into this series, really, Untruths Uncovered, and I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Hebrews. The scripture comes to us from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. And as we turn to the words of scripture, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord, would you open your word to us and open us to your word that we may hear from you and understand to the glory of the name of Jesus. Amen. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. We're grateful for God's word. Amen. Hebrews can be difficult to jump into, that That argument that we read is that the Son, Jesus, is above all angels. So we want to talk today about God. What do you say when someone says, I don't believe in God? How do you respond when when someone tells you, that might be for you, I don't believe in God? Maybe it's someone that you know, maybe it's someone that's very near to you, uh, a spouse or a friend or a brother or a sister, maybe a, a, a daughter or a son who says those words to you, Dad, I don't believe that. I don't believe that anymore. What do you say? In those moments when you feel the, the window opening up on divine things and you want to have the right words, let me ask you this. Do you ever, do you ever walk away from that moment with a little bit of regret? Do you ever think there was something I should have said, I should have said this? 
Or if you're like me, maybe it's the other way around. I should ask it the other way around. Have you ever walked away from one of those moments feeling like, nailed it. I got it. That went perfectly. I said everything that I should have said. Jesus, you're lucky I'm around. I mean, I... I, I said, I argued every point and, and uh, there's no way anybody's walking away from that without giving that. You know, I've never felt that. Can't imagine that. Can't imagine that. But I'd like to fall somewhere in between, wouldn't you? You know, the Lord Jesus has called us to be his witnesses If you're a believer today, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, you've given your life to Christ, then you probably want to say, I want to do anything that I can. I want to do all that I can for you, Lord, you who gave your life for me to fill my life with eternal joy, you who forgave my sins. I want to do anything I possibly can do for you if only I knew how. If you're exploring today, if you're, if you're wondering about uh, the faith that, that people share, that, that we share here at this church, if you're exploring God and looking and wrestling with these questions, then you're going to hear a, a number of things in this sermon and things in this series that a lot of believers wish that we had said in those moments, wish we could say at the right time, and maybe you'll find some questions answered. The question today as we launch into the series is this one. Did we make God or did God make us? Did we make God? That's the question. And the difference between those two positions will change how you look at just about everything. From now until Easter for seven weeks, we'll be looking at some tough questions or at least things that we hear a lot out there that people say about the Christian faith. And and today we ask, does God exist and can we hear from him? But as we dive into these questions and as we enter into meaningful conversations, we want to look first at 1 Peter 3.15. This is the guiding verse for the kinds of conversations that we hope to have. 1 Peter 3.15, it says this, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. We'll be in the book of Hebrews right up until Palm Sunday looking at these tough questions, but this verse is really the key verse, the theme verse for this series. If there's a verse to memorize, it's 1 Peter 3:15. Because this verse is the outline for any helpful conversation about the faith. In fact, I don't know if we can keep it up a little bit longer in front of us or you might have it in front of you in your Bible. But what does it say? It doesn't say pick a fight and win the argument, does it? You know, you can win a battle and lose a friend. What does it say? It says, first, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. It starts in your heart. It starts with your genuine personal relationship with Jesus, your genuine faith in Jesus, your effectiveness as an evangelist begins with your genuine faith 
your personal relationship with Jesus Christ where you revere him as Lord in your heart. And then what happens? Then it says, be prepared to give an answer. If you've been around a church, you've heard this verse. This is the classic apologetics verse. This is the foundation for training one another, encouraging one another in the intellectual discipline of defending the faith. Be prepared to defend the faith. Be prepared beforehand to make an answer. Absolutely. But how does Peter say that this is going to play out? He says, be prepared to answer when someone asks, right? And what are they asking about? They're asking about the hope that you have. It says, be prepared to to give a response when someone asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Someone sees the hope, the joy, the, the peace, the love so profound within you because you revere in your heart Christ Jesus as Lord, and they see it, and so they want to ask. Where do you get that? Why why do you have such a hope? Why do you have such an abiding joy? Don't you know that your life is hard? Don't you know that things have gone wrong for you? How do you have such a joy, such a hope? Where does it come from? Someone asks you, because there's a light shining out of you, because your inner being is filled with joy in the presence of Jesus Christ, filling you up, and it shines out of you, and someone asks. And in that moment, it's time to give a response. And better still, if you thought a little bit about what to say, right? before the words just start spilling out of your mouth, better still that you have thought about and been ready to give a reasonable response for the hope that is in you. Why? Because this is a holy moment. This is a sacred mission. Whenever someone comes to you and they know that you're a follower of Jesus and and they open their hearts to you, listen, that's a sacred mission. Jesus died for that person in front of you. Jesus came to seek and save that person who's before you with all of their questions. And don't be confused. When they ask you about God, when they ask you some question about the Bible or prayer or why you went to church on Sunday morning, when they ask you about suffering or about justice or they say, Well, you're a Christian, you're a believer. What do you have to say about the high school in Parkland, Florida? Where's God in Parkland, Florida? What do you have to say about our charge to guide and protect our children? What do you have to say? You're a Christian, don't be confused. When they ask you this question, they're asking you about the hope that's in you because of the light of Jesus Christ, whom you revere as Savior and Lord in your heart. And we want to be ready to give a reasonable response. Now, don't miss this. This last point now. The verse says, do this, do this with gentleness and respect. Can we all say together, class, gentleness and and respect. Some have noticed a slight decline 
in civil discourse. Have you picked? You have to have a discerning eye, but you can pick up that somehow we've lost a little bit of this emphasis of gentleness and respect. Let me tell you, if you'll enter a conversation with gentleness and respect, you're going to stand out. You're going to stand out. It's like how a a golfer walks uh, all the way around the hole to line up a putt. You see, the golfer needs the perspective that's all the way over there to, to make the connection from this direction. You see, that's what it's like. You try your hardest to get all the way over into the shoes of the person that you're speaking with. That's how you understand their perspective and then you can engage one another with gentleness and we're getting a great grade this morning. Listen now, the best witness to Christ is a reasonable response to the hope that is shining in you offered with gentleness and respect. So, I don't believe in God, the person says. What is the person really saying? I have met in my time very few genuine hardline atheists, you know. Most people believe that God is there, that God is there some way, somehow, there's a God there. But the claim that you know God or that God can talk to you or certainly the claim that there's only one way to interact with God, these claims are are too far for them. But I think the predominant idea is actually that we made God. Let me explain what I mean. It's the argument that God is a human projection we constructed in our practice of religion. Maybe you took a class on on sociology or on religion in college and you heard a professor tell you that religion is ultimately about community formation and behavior modification. Sound familiar? Community through conformity. That's what it's about. And to accomplish that, they said, to assuage our fear of death, we created a notion of an eternal and all-powerful being. But we made God. We made God. So we don't have to worry about how we respond to God or how we answer to God. And, and we can call this, this God, we can call this God whatever we'd like. We call it karma or the universe or anything else, the secret, whatever you want to do. You know, because we made God. Really. That might be the first time you've heard that argument. You're sitting there thinking, man, that makes a whole lot of sense. I'm out of here. What am I doing? <laughs> Wait just a minute. <laughs> we still have to answer the primary question. Is God there or not? And if God is there, can God communicate with us? In fact, those are the questions that are going home with you on these cards. If you're, if you're so bold, you might just ask someone that question. Do you think God is there? And if you do, do you think God can communicate with us? Our passage today communicates the Christian belief that God made the world. Quoting Psalm 102, Hebrews 1, at, at verse 10, it says, he also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands, everything that is, heavens and earth, you made it. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You'll roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they'll be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. It says, you, God, are creator, eternal, everlasting. 
We are creation, impermanent, passing away. The verse doesn't really argue for the existence of God so much as it assumes it. It leans on on hundreds of years of scriptures and beliefs assuming that God is there and God made the world. Is that a valid assumption? I'm with those who will say you, you can never argue someone into faith in God. You can never argue someone into believing in God. But you can remove obstacles and provide clues. So let me give you just three conversation points that might remove an obstacle and provide a clue that God is there. Number one, the Big Bang Theory. You know, the results of the Hubble telescope were actually very hard for the atheistic part of the scientific community to accept. The question of the existence of God very quickly becomes a question about creation. Why is everything here? And if the universe existed forever, just as it is, imagine a universe that never changed, it's easier to imagine a world without God, a forever universe without any maker. But if the universe came into being at some point in time, wherever that point of time is, that raises all kinds of questions. And the Hubble telescope, if you don't know this, it proved what scientists had postulated, that the universe, the known universe, is expanding, ever-expanding constantly in both space and time. So it had to have had a beginning, some point where and when it began. You see, it's remarkable that one of the main ideas used to prop up atheism, the Big Bang Theory, was actually received by atheists as a horrible and destructive challenge to their worldview. They rejected it just on that point. They said, we can't let God in the door. Why? Because if the universe had a beginning, they have to accept the idea that it had a beginner that started the whole thing. Number two, intelligence and order We have to deal with the reality that we find ourselves in. And this universe is replete with intelligent order. It's the difference between walking along the beach and finding a chunk of driftwood and walking along the beach and finding a, a wristwatch and picking it up and saying, something made this. It is finely tuned. The mathematical chances of our universe coming into being at all are so tiny, it is not feasible to leave it to random chaos. The odds are put at somewhere around 1 to 10 to the 138th power. 1 out of 10 to the 130, I don't even really know how to explain that number to you. Or how many zeros it would take to go around the wall, you know? But the physicists, the astrophysicists say there are around 122 variables that had to line up in perfect order for matter to come into existence. So imagine 122 dials on the machine. And they all have to be dialed in exactly the right place. But on each dial, they don't have 10 points on the dial. They don't even have 360 degrees on the dial. Each dial has over a trillion values on it that have to be lined up exactly right or there's nothing. 
And when it comes to to bringing about a universe that actually supports life, it gets even narrower. Now, chance, random chaos, if you have eternity to work with, maybe, but we don't. The universe has a beginning. It's been proven. Number three, DNA. Francis Collins directed the Human Genome Project and is now the director of the National Institutes of Health. And mapping the code of DNA, Collins said that the amount of information packed into a single strand of DNA is comparable to 30 encyclopedias of data. Collins calls it the language of God. He believes God is there. See, Universities have more atheists in the social science departments than they have in the hard sciences. Do you know that? It's the professor of psychology or sociology that will argue that physics disproves God, not the physicist. They tend to know better. Now, can I argue you into believing that God is there? No, no. But there sure are clues. Amen? Can God speak to us then? Can we communicate with God? We'll take this up even more next week as we address the Bible itself, the Scriptures. But this is a big question. Think about it. It's one thing to say that there's a God out there, some God out there. It's another thing entirely to say that that God speaks to us, confronts us, makes some claim over us in a personal way. Hebrews says, our passage this morning that God speaks in a lot of different ways. Verse 1, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. In many times and in various ways. But let's be honest. God doesn't, doesn't roar down like a voice from heaven. Not very often anyway. And I've never experienced it. God is hidden. And so when we ask this question, one of the things that amazes me the most is that God has set up the universe and our lives in it in such a way that it is possible for us to disbelieve his existence. Why did he do it that way? God has made creation so consistent and orderly and us so comfortable in it that we can believe that we are by ourselves. Why? I think this has got to be so frustrating for God. It, it, would, it would drive me crazy, really. You know, have you ever lost credit for your work? Have you ever said something brilliant and only to have somebody else, you know, say it later in a meeting or put it in a report or something like that and, and not give you any credit for it and claim it as their own? Oh! It eats you up inside. Now imagine being the creator of the entire universe and not being given any credit for it and watching people turn away from you and actually even try to imagine that you don't even exist. That's what God does. He wants us so comfortable in his creation that it becomes possible for us to overlook his very existence. You know, he could be present to us. God could be present. He could be this great uh, face in the sky, this great God face, you know. 
just undeniably apparent for all to see. There's God. He's right there. But he didn't do it that way. He doesn't do it that way because that wouldn't accomplish his purposes. You see, if God did that, you would be forced into a relationship with him. And God values your freedom, even when it means you have the freedom to dismiss him entirely from your life. God wants you to come to him in faith and love, not out of coercion or, or force. So all we can do is, is point to the clues. All we can do is remove the obstacles and show the hints of God's existence and his love. And you know, when we make an argument like that from scientific order, you know, we haven't even scratched the notion of beauty. Beauty. God could have made all this universe able to sustain life, all mathematically correct, all correct to to keep life going, and, and it could have been absolutely ugly, you know? Absolutely horrid, a petri dish for us all. But God made things beautiful. Why? Because He loves you. It is Valentine's Day this week. Maybe I should say something a little bit Valentine's Day Cardi. Listen, can God communicate with you? Every sunset is a love letter from God to you. It's a Valentine to make your heart warm because he loves you. In the past it says, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Friends, God speaks in many ways, in many times, but God speaks nowhere so loudly and so clearly as in his son Jesus. Do you want to know a secret? Every conversation of faith that you get into is a conversation about Jesus. You say, no, no, this is, a, this is a conversation about astrophysics. This is a conversation about my, microbiology. No, it isn't. It's a conversation about Jesus. Don't fail to get to Jesus. He is the radiance of God's glory. God is hidden, invisible, but we get to see God in Jesus Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You say, this is a conversation about morals. It's about ethics. This is a conversation about philosophy or psychology. No, it isn't. It's a conversation about Jesus. Don't fail to get home to Jesus. Did we make God? I don't think so. I think God is there. And that means he made us. And that means we belong to him. But good news, God loves all that he has made. 
He loves it so much. He sent his son. He sent his son, Jesus, into his creation to die for you and me that we can be redeemed and reconciled to God the Father in heaven. He loves his creation so much. We can't argue one another into faith in God. We can't build a a scaffolding of logic high enough to reach into the divine realms, but God has sent Jesus down to us to reveal himself that we can know God and worship him. Jesus has come to find us, to speak to us, to remove the obstacles and the defensive structures that we build up to, to defend ourselves from the reality of the presence of God. Jesus breaks through all of that to show us his love, to carry us home, to reconcile us and forgive our sins. In Jesus, we have the full representation that God is there and he loves us. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.first-prez.org.